Matt Mosley show, ESPN Central Texas. You heard the uh, White Sox in town. Cole Reagans, man, I'm excited about this. I like any major league debut, and this guy particularly has a really cool story. And, um, well, I, I, I've just been excited. I'm buying him a little time because he had his manager uh, preview and he has to get back up to his perch. I've been in there. I was allowed to broadcast in there a time or two. Uh, and he's, uh, well, actually, no, this is the new one. I'm thinking back at the old one. But uh, we are uh, uh, getting in touch as we speak with uh, the uh, Hall of Famer himself, Eric Nadell. Eric, uh, welcome to the Matt Mosley Show. I, I was vamping for a minute because I wanted to make sure you got off that <laughs> elevator. I didn't even get in the elevator. It hasn't come. So uh, I'm still in the in the bowels of the stadium, but I think I'm in a reasonably quiet place. You are, and uh, you sound great as always. And we'll get to this. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in this debut, Cole Reagans. I mean, that's always fun when you get to somebody, especially with a story like this. But I tell you, the Vin Scully passing away, um, it, it, you know, obviously at his age, it's not like it could come to a shock to any of us, but still the, the end of an era. Uh, and, and I, I thought of you, Eric, cause I just thought, man, Eric, uh, like nobody else will have thoughts and memories of Vin that there's just, I think I heard you say it yesterday, Eric, the, the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. What was your first thought or the memories that flooded back to you when you heard the news about uh, Vin's passing on uh, on Tuesday evening? Well, you got to realize, Mo, that I grew up in Brooklyn, and my parents were Brooklyn Dodger fans who listened avidly to the radio all the time. Uh, I started going to Brooklyn Dodger games the last year they were in Brooklyn before they moved to Los Angeles. So I remember going to a few games. I don't remember listening on the radio. But I remember my mom telling me one time when I told her I was going to meet Vin Scully, she said, tell Mr. Scully that you were listening to him in the womb. And uh, <laughs> so I have a, you know, a long family history you know, of enjoying and respecting Vin. And when I finally got to meet him, Mark Holtz and I got to meet him uh, when the Rangers played the Dodgers in spring training in 1982. Uh, and he was just so gracious, so warm treating us like equals, which was ridiculous. You know, we were just basically rookie big league announcers and he'd already been there for 30 some odd years and, you know, treated us like we deserved to be there and was just incredibly kind every time I saw them. And so whenever we would play the Dodgers in spring training or in interleague play, I would make sure I got to the ballpark early so I could spend a little bit of time with them. And he was always really giving. And anytime I would bring up a friend who was from Brooklyn, you know, he was extra, extra special in coming over and signing anything they had. Uh, just a phenomenal human being. One of those situations where you meet one of your heroes and he turns out to be everything you hoped he would be and more. And then as a broadcaster, you know, he's inarguably the best ever. I don't know that there's any other profession where you ask everybody who does that for a living, who's the best to ever do this? And every single person is going to say Vin Scully. You will not get a different answer. If you ask the 100 major league announcers right now uh, for the 30 teams, who's the best ever, you'll get 100 of them, say Vin Scully. You might get 100 different answers for who's the second best, but everyone <laughs> will say Vin Scully. 
Well, I bet that was something in 1982. You know, because most times you're you're in all maybe of meeting one of your baseball heroes that you grew up. But then when it becomes your profession and somebody you grew up loving and maybe wanting to emulate and getting to see him, and like you say, he lives up to that reputation. That's a pretty awesome thing. Now, what what do you think it was that set him apart and made him? so appealing to listen to, but also universally beloved. He was better than everyone else in every single aspect of baseball broadcasting. You start with the voice. He had this incredibly smooth, friendly voice that always had a smile in his voice. He had inflections that were different from everybody else's. They were more varied. Uh, He had a better vocabulary than everybody else. He was more creative in the way he used the language. He was more well-read, and he would bring up stuff from Shakespeare and from you know movies and literature and work that in. He worked harder than everybody else, even right to the end. He wasn't mailing it in when he was working in his 80s. You know, he was coming up with stories. He was researching, researching stuff and coming up with stories about the players that nobody else had and seamlessly weaving them into the broadcasts. And then you come down to the dramatic moments, and he just he had the ultimate ability to describe things perfectly, and he knew when to talk and when not to talk. You know, he just had a sense of that better than anybody. So, again, it's every single thing that we try to do as a broadcaster, he did better than anybody else. It's, it's really incredible. Do you remember that famous, the most famous one, probably his most iconic call, the Kirk Gibson? Do you, I mean, the, to encapsulate it, to let the crowd go for a while, and then his line about the improbable uh, has ended with the impossible. I, I was hearing Al Michaels talk about that. I mean, I and he was kind of going back over what had happened that season with the Dodgers, and in 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 a sense, that just that that one line perfectly captured not only the moment but sort of what had happened that season with the Dodgers yeah and you know and to have that come out extemporaneously you know to have it not be prepared because you're not prepared for Kirk Gibson to come you know hobbling off the bench using his bat as a cane and hitting a game-winning home run no way you prepare for that and that he was able to spit that out at the right moment you know similarly his his wrap-up on the Hank Aaron home run you know about how a black man in the South is being is being cheered uh, for breaking a, an all-time record uh, of a white legend. You know all that kind of stuff to just come you know spontaneously out of somebody. No, that's just just a gift that nobody else had. Eric Nadell, voice of the Rangers, joined the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas. Did you ever try to mimic? anyone uh whether it be vin or mel allen or anybody did you ever find yourself as a young broadcaster trying to emulate or or almost capture someone else's cadence not in baseball Uh, in basketball and hockey i was a i was a marv albert imitator he's the guy that i grew up listening to you know he had a very fast kind of staccato type delivery when he was doing radio for the new york knicks and the new york rangers uh, it's a lot of kind of what Chuck Cooperstein sounds like doing basketball. That's That was kind of my style doing basketball and hockey. But in baseball, no. In baseball, I really didn't uh, try and imitate anybody in terms of the style. What I did do, and I still do, is I look for phrases that other announcers are using 
descriptive phrases that I'm not using. And Vince Gully supplied the most. You know, I listen to games a lot on my way to the ballpark or anytime I'm in the car. And if I hear an announcer using a phrase that I'm not using to describe something or even an interesting way of coming out of a commercial break, I'll make a note of it and I'll write it in red in my scorebook that night and try and work it in. And eventually it'll become part of my vocabulary and it'll be on the tip of my tongue. Then when I would listen to a game with Vin, I, I wouldn't have enough space on the paper for all the things I was writing down. Like, how is he inventing this stuff? It's like listening to Mike Emmerich do a hockey game. You know, the phraseology is just much more creative and more descriptive than other announcers. And so, you know, from then over the years, I got lots of, you know, lots of different ways of describing things that I never had before. But in terms of trying to copy his style, no, I never did. But you hear lots of announcers who clearly have been influenced by him, you know, probably grew up listening to him on the West Coast somewhere. And they do have the kind of cadence uh, that Vin had, you know, and some of the inflections that Vin had. You like to describe the uniforms. You're very descriptive in that. And I, I'm sure you started that pretty early in your career. I, I think uh, I think I've heard Vin you, of, of the Dodgers say it was wedding cake white. That's a good, you know that would be a, a a really nice thing. Is that something you picked up on uh, early in your broadcasting career, or somebody you listened to that you loved? Kind of how they described uh, the different uh, uniforms and how how ball players were dressed. Yeah, the New York Mets announcers were very descriptive um, when I was a kid. Bob Murphy and Lindsey Nelson. Uh, they were always talking about what the clouds looked like, uh, what the skies looked like, and, and what the uniforms looked like. And even going back to uh, you know earlier broadcasts that I would listen to, you know, I would get tapes originally and then CDs of older broadcasts, broadcasts from the 40s and 50s and 60s, before there were a lot of games televised, where radio announcers really did a lot more description of what the players looked like, what their stamps looked like, how they were wearing their uniform. You know, in addition to the actual style of the uniforms, which back in those days, there wasn't that much. You know, everybody would just wore a gray uniform with either the team name across the front or if you were the Cardinals, you know, you had the bird on the bat. So there wasn't that much to describe in terms of what the uniforms looked like. But now every team has, you know, five different uniforms. And it's interesting to me, which one are they wearing tonight? You know, and and, you know, what does it look like? Do they have stripes down the side of the pants? You know, are they... Are they wearing a solid cap or a cap with a different colored brim? You know, we're painting a word picture for people. And as a kid listening to games on the radio, the announcers were always doing that. Now people just tend to assume, well, I know what that player looks like. I've seen him on TV a million times. You know, back in the earlier days, you didn't assume that. And so I figure with people who are listening on the radio, well, maybe they're primarily radio listeners. Maybe they don't have the cable package that has TV. So... You know, I've got to tell him what things look like in the ballpark. You know, Vin made the transition from radio to TV. It, some, it seems like seamlessly. You've had all sorts of opportunities over the years to do that. You chose not to. Did, did what do you, what do you think? Did, did do you think Vin just? It was just kind of a natural thing. When do you remember him becoming known more for TV? I guess that had to do with he was getting golf and and uh, NFL opportunities as well. But uh, how, how do you, when do you kind of remember that transition happening with him? Well, the thing you got to remember is, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s and even the early 80s, most teams 
rotated their announcers between radio and TV. Mm. Uh, even when I started doing the Rangers, I would do the middle three innings of the game on TV. Uh, you literally would switch announcers, and the teams thought that that was good. It was fresh for the audience to get a different perspective. And the announcers loved doing both radio and TV. I did. Uh, once the TV broadcast became full of video packages and graphics and sponsored elements, it was more important to have the same announcer as trying to be kind of a master of ceremonies traffic cop for the entire game. And they started using ex-players more as analysts. And it didn't really make sense anymore to have the announcers going back and forth between radio and TV. Uh, but Vin was one of the last guys who did both. He would eventually do uh, the first three innings of the game on radio and then go over to TV. And then finally, the TV station said, well, we want him all the time. And the radio station said, well, we're not giving him up. And they compromised and let Vin do a simulcast. So the first three innings of the game, his last several years, were simulcast on radio and TV. And he basically did it as a radio broadcast. And the people watching on TV you know, heard the announcer talking more than they were accustomed to. Uh, but then from the fourth inning on, when he was no longer on TV, he would shift gears and go into more of a classic television broadcast with not quite as much description. But he always worked alone, too. You know, that was the thing that was so different about him. He refused to use an analyst. You know, his theory was, as explained to him by Red Barber when he started, uh, you're doing a broadcast and you're telling a story and it's like sitting across the kitchen table from somebody. He didn't want anybody else putting his two cents in. You know, he wanted to tell the story his way, and he didn't want anybody else butting in. And he did that to his final days of working in 2016. He would do an entire telecast without a color man, which is it's hard to believe, especially considering how long the games are now. It was one thing when the games were two and a half hours. Now that they're off in three and a half hours, that's really hard to do. And he did it, it well into his 80s and, uh, he, you know, retired not that long ago. 67 years of doing it. I loved your open yesterday when you you used his signature phrase of uh, pull up a chair. And uh, I just thought that was so neat. And it was, uh, you know, it was just really, it was kind of like you, understated, but but very appropriate. So I well, uh, kudos you. to you on that. I appreciate it. It was kind of fun the last two days, you know, paying tribute and, you know, using a lot of his phrases and talking about him throughout the game. Um, still just such a, such a crushing blow to all of us. You know, you knew at age 94, he's not going to live forever, but somehow you hoped that he would. Yeah. I mean, he started tweeting uh, just in the last couple of years. We had seen him on, uh, on Twitter well, I I had looked forward to this, and uh, I loved listening to you and Matt yesterday talking, and even those John Miller stories of impersonating different people. And I, you know, I I, I knew John had been with the Rangers at one point, but you sometimes forget. And uh, what a what a crew that y'all had. That was. Uh, I may have to YouTube and see if I can find some of uh, your old uh, TV work, Eric. Maybe some of your well, you HSE days. But you do want. You do want to find some of John doing impersonations of Bob Shepard and Vince Scully and, and those guys. Um, and as for the debuts, uh, I've got some news for you. It's not just Cole Reagan's making his major league debut tonight. Bubba Thompson has been called up, and he's here, and he's starting in left field making his major league debut. Two first-round draft choices who were drafted out of high school, one in 2016 and one in 2017, 
are making their major league debut on the same night. And everybody is scurrying around to find out the last time that happened, if it ever happened on the same team. Wow. Yeah, maybe Elias can help out on some of that. Well, thank you for bringing I'm sure that. Find it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be fun to see both of them out there and uh, Cole Reagans with his uh, you know, his perseverance and all that he's overcome. Uh, Eric, I mean, but within you know, 2023 or 24, lighter, rocker, Reagans, I mean, win it, it is interesting that in AA and AAA right now, and of course Reagan's starting tonight, you could have the makings of the future rotation. And depending on how all this works out timing-wise, that is, uh, that, as a broadcaster who's done this for a long time, that does have to, to bring some excitement, I would think. Yeah, you hope so. You know, until you actually see those guys pitching in the big leagues, you know, they're really just names to us. But obviously, if you believe what the scouts have to say, it's, uh, it's pretty promising. All right, Eric, jump in that elevator, get up to your perch, okay. and uh, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mo. Okay, there he goes, Eric Nadell, voice of the Rangers. And you know what Ben Scully was for a lot of kids? Eric was that for a lot of us. Um, and there I was at summer camp. I think it was Camp Longhorn. I had smuggled a pair of uh, – uh, earphones in there, the the kind that have the built-in AM, FM. And I believe the one night, probably circa 1985 or 86, Charlie Huff had a no-hitter going, and I believe it was George Wright who misplayed a ball out there. And, uh, and not only was the no-hitter broken up, but I believe the Rangers ended up losing that game. Of course, Eric and, uh, and, and Mark Holtz were doing that game. So, 